you help us, Hedrick? No, I'm I'm not even supposed to be here. I stole a life from Mr. Dennis, but he'll be back real soon. And I, I can't steal a life for too long or he'll know and get angry, etc. You know, that's not what you use etc. for, right? And welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and I am really excited about this episode. I know I say that pretty much every episode, but you know what? I am excited about this one because we are going to be talking about a pretty in-your-face example of psychology hitting you right in the face in a movie uh it's uh it's a really good one it's split with james mcavoy and anya taylor joy uh and some other people and some other people but those are the most people where james mcavoy puts on the performance of the decade i want to say by performing several personalities identities in a movie by writer director m night Shyamalan. uh his a, a kind of a return to a uh tour de force after a series of flops like this one was highly uh regarded as an interesting look at dissociative identity disorder uh, formerly called multiple personality disorder, hence the whole sp- the title being called Split and uh, and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's quite a it's quite a film to have on the podcast. I've been waiting for a really long time for this one, and um, my guest host is someone who. Uh, knows a lot about this, has used it in her courses. So, I mean, strap in for this one. And as always, especially talking about a Shyamalan film, I gotta say, if you have not seen this or the follow-up Shyamalan universe film, Glass, which connects Split and Unbreakable together, Uh, I gotta tell you... There are going to be some spoilers ahead. Yeah, that's right. Spoilers are coming your way on this one because there's no two ways about having to talk about uh, that 24th identity that uh, is coming along for the ride. This is a horror film. It is a thriller, so there is an element there that uh, M. Night wants to give you. But like I said... Uh, James McAvoy is so great in it, so great. And so with that, let's jump right into it. My guest host today is Dr. Lyra Stein, an assistant teaching 
professor at Rutgers University. She teaches classes in abnormal psych, personality psych, research methods, soul beliefs, ooh, myths and myth misconceptions. <laughs> I always get that wrong in psychology and psychological theories in film. Ooh, that's a very good one to end with, right? In addition to teaching, she is active in mentoring students and introducing them to the scholarly community community of Rutgers University and giving them an opportunity to make connections with faculty members outside the classroom. Awesome. Lyra, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. I am happy to have you on. Before we jump into discussing the film, as I do with all of my uh, guest hosts, is I wanted to ask you about your just thoughts on film in general and why do you use film in your teaching, considering that you have a class in psychological theories in film? Well, I am a big film buff, and I think it was about, favorite kind of people. Yeah. And about six years ago, I started a collaboration with a psychiatrist, Dr. Anthony Tobia, and he teaches, uh, you know, his psychiatry residents and medical students through film. And I thought, nice. what a great idea. So then I started having my students join in. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to make this a regular thing. We're going to have these extra credit Twitter movie nights. We come in, we watch a full length feature film, a modern film usually. And then we tweet about the psychological concepts that we see. And it really helps my students because usually you know, they read descriptions of personality mm -hmm. and diagnoses, mm -hmm. and they don't really get a chance to have it, you know, to see the actual presentation. Yeah, so I agree. Yeah, these were a success. And in 2016, I said, wait a second, why don't I create a course? Mm -hmm. So I have been teaching the do. course. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And you've been doing that since 2016? Uh, since 2017. It took a while to get the class approved because okay. they, they thought all we were going to do was sit around and watch movies. And, you know, I, I said, no, <laughs> this is an actual learning experience for the students. And yeah. it was finally approved. Oh, that's awesome. So do you teach it once every year or once every semester? I teach it every semester because it's a awesome. very popular class. And I usually have uh -huh. about 400 students who are interested in Oh my gosh, in really? If 400 in the... Wow. You've averaged 400 over the past, what, uh, six semesters? Seven, yeah. Seven, yeah, yeah. something like that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, at a large school like Rutgers, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm honestly not surprised. I'm sure psych is still one of the top majors in, in the, uh, as far as numbers are at the, in the whole university. So that's really, really, really cool. Uh, I, I, I have a, uh, I'm actually going to add it to the catalog uh, coming up this year, but I did a test run kind of thing um, last, uh, was it last summer? Yeah, it must have been not 2020, not the summer of awfulness. Uh, but the previous summer, yeah, uh, I was I I got that on the books as a special topics course. So I'm gonna try to get a get it solidly in the catalog this year. 
it's it's a fun class to teach. I I enjoy it immensely. If it's the only if if it was the only class I had to teach, oh boy, I'd love it every year. I'd be like watching the same movies over and over again. I, so, I love this movie, uh, this class, and yeah, you know, I try to use different movies each semester mm-hmm, depending mm-hmm. on students' response. You know, there's some movies students didn't like. I I think right. I try to show at least twenty movies during the semester. So I have a question for you because I have a good one for this. Um, what was one movie recently that they didn't like? Um, they, for some reason, and this is an older movie, they don't like A Beautiful Mind. And really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. They, they got bored. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, know, I can see that. And they like the, the, re- the high impact feature film so i just added some new ones i added joker and black panther Mm -hmm. so i try to keep it modern yeah okay because there was one and speaking of not keeping it modern i did one year uh i did uh in sensation and perception i showed uh the beatles yellow submarine the animated Mm. film Mm mm-hmm and they were so lost. Yeah. They had no idea what was going on in the entire film. So it's not one that I will do. It's not one that I will use again just because of that, uh, <laughs> of the of what you're talking yes, about. Yes, yes. So, Lyra, now that we've discussed, you know, film in general, let's talk about the film that I sort of jazzed up at the beginning of this episode, Split. What was your reason for choosing Split for Split. our discussion? So the purpose of the course was to illustrate psychological concepts mm-hmm. and the film addresses dissociative identity disorder and students love that. They Gobble it up. love the concept. Um, when I saw Split, I'm thinking there's some accuracies, inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. This would be great for my students. And I have them submit analyses on, you know, what was mm-hmm. accurate in the film, what was inaccurate. And once I saw mm-hmm. it, I said, okay, this is great because there's so much myth surrounding this disorder. And, mm-hmm. you know, students come in with, their preconceived notions of what they think it is. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition, this film is, is kind of stigmatizing in, uh, okay. you know, I, the yeah, violence. It, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that some, some of the characters, uh, main characteristics revolve around the horror aspect yes. of the film. Yes. Uh, and uh, something perhaps supernatural. But yeah, okay, I can dig the stigmatizing aspect of it. That's awesome. So let's actually, because of the I mean the nature of our discussion uh, in this episode, I think it's let's just jump right into it. Sure. So the 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 disorder that you are talking about is dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. And at, uh, at the top of the show, I I mentioned that up until I believe. The DSM-4, it was referred to as multiple personality disorder. Yes. And uh, some of the synopses actually sort of jumble this one to, they say, 23 
uh, distinct personalities and that obviously that nomenclature these days is incorrect. It should be a 23 distinct identities Mm -hmm. because of the uh, renaming of the disorder in Mm -hmm. the DSM-4TR and into the DSM-5. Yes. So let's talk about DID in... um, uh, in like a broad sense, as far as it being an identified diagnostic and statistical manual uh, diagnosis, uh, what is dissociative identity disorder, Lyra? Okay, well, let's start with the basics. Dissociation in general is, um, it's kind of like your conscious attention is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever had the experience of driving somewhere and you arrived at your destination and you're thinking, gee, I don't remember making those turns, but I'm here because, you know, I'm sort of on automatic pilot or you go into the movie theater, you're so engrossed in the film and you're unaware of your surroundings until the end of the movie. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of what dissociation is. And if we look at it from a neurological viewpoint, um, our conscious attention is so limited. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't focus it on what is going on around us. Right. So people who experience dissociation, many times they will report that they've lost time. They say, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't remember what happened during this period of time. And um, they'll uh, recount these intense negative experiences that they've Mm -hmm. had. Um, And usually when there's a loss of time, the therapist will consider dissociative disorders. Okay. So... You know, dissociative disorders, when we form a memory, it gets, uh, you know, it's processed by the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. It's stored in these long-term associative uh, networks in our frontal Mm -hmm. cortex, in our cortical matter. For some reason, there is so much emotional activation of the amygdala that it doesn't get stored correctly. Mm-hmm. So some okay. memories are just not accessible to our conscious awareness. Right. So sometimes when someone has a trauma early in life that they can't uh, escape, they will just mm-hmm. go somewhere else. They will dissociate. So their mm-hmm. mind, their conscious awareness just goes somewhere else. So the memories they have are not integrated into their conscious memory store. Mm-hmm. And they're only brought up when there are stimuli in the environment that remind them of okay. first the, uh, the, the incident that they may have dissociated from. And the emotions. So all of our memories are tagged with an emotion. And if your conscious awareness says, wait a second, some memory is about to come up that is really uh, intensely negative, 
the person, their conscious awareness will just go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So they'll just lose time. And there are a variety of dissociation disorders. There's a depersonalization where the person will feel like they're floating above their body. Yeah. That was just on Reddit. That was just on Reddit. Uh, I was reading on Reddit. Somebody was asking a question about depersonalization, derealization, and you were just about to. Yeah, to, uh, it's, uh, to me, it's amazing. I, this is, uh, you know, the processes going on in the brain. Mm -hmm. There is so much we're not aware of, so much that's unconscious. And I think these disorders really show how, mm -hmm. you know, vast the brain is and how much we don't know about what's going on. Right. And derealization, you know, when you're in a dream. Things seem fuzzy, they may seem right. clearer, the colors may be changed, mm -hmm. and that's what people may experience. Now, yeah. with every with every disorder in the DSM, it's always a degree. So some okay. people they just experience the depersonalization, okay. the derealization, and this is maybe their memories are compartmentalized, the memories of the trauma. So, you know, when so I'm curious, I'm curious then. So the case that really kind of brought this to a lot of people's minds was Sybil, which was the <sighs> film that which was a film that was based on a, a real person, uh, w which is why I'm bringing it up because it was a, they made a film about it. And so that, that's the original D.I.D. movie um, to a lot of people. But uh did did they I, I know reports came out recently or maybe it wasn't so recent. I don't know. It seemed it seemed recent to me that um, it's uh, probably apparent that Sybil was lying. Yeah, she uh, she admitted she was lying. She ah, she admitted it. Okay. Yes, she uh, was playing a role for her therapist. Now, sometimes therapists, you know, they have a case of dissociation. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, hey, maybe it's, you know, what we used to call multiple personality disorder, uh, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. Possibly this is what I have here. Mm -hmm. So they may put the person under hypnosis. And many okay. people tend to believe that hypnosis can bring up repressed memories. Right. But what it actually does, it makes the client more suggestible. Yeah. So right. by <laughs> no intentional uh, mean, you know, the therapist didn't intentionally do that, but may have planted, you know, in Sybil's mind that Sybil may have different personalities and Sybil decided to play along with that. Ah, she decided to play along with it. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. So she really didn't experience uh, she really didn't experience any real depersonalization, maybe some compartmentalization for some of the things, but uh, but definitely not derealization, I would imagine. So that's a bit of a bummer. Do, are there any other famous cases of real cases of dissociative identity disorder that have been, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't say verified, but um, uh, corroborated? Oh. Um. 
that's a that's a really controversial topic because you have a camp uh, of therapists who believe yeah. it's a real thing, and then you have a camp that doesn't. Right. And they say mostly maybe um you don't know about it because you haven't been trained in it. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, <laughs> That's the elite, that's the elitist answer I that I want. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I yeah, you, you can rationalize anything if you really try. Uh, right. <laughs> so if there's yeah, so we have this we have this one camp and we have the other camp. I do when I bring up uh, DID in my like uh, Gen Psych class, I, I'll say that you know this is a super rare. Uh, because of its controversial nature. So it's like if it's rare because maybe it doesn't happen all that often because it takes a lot of of misfiring in the brain uh, or two that it's kind of like a, it's rare because um, uh, we don't diagnose it all that often. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So is it real or is it just something that we put Rant these these sort of random ish uh, sensations uh, that are divorced from perceptions. Uh, so we put them into a group as opposed to having like uh, dis- depressive disorders, which have a, a kind of a, a related set of correlate symptoms and anxiety disorders and so on. Um, so if you're asking me, I'd say there's a definite compartmentalization of memories and associated right. emotions. I wouldn't say they're different identities, but then you have okay. to ask yourself, what is identity? Identity is your past memories and the emotions you associate with it. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think it's completely separate identities. It's just really different aspects of the person. And it's interesting that the movie is named Split because DID is a complete split of memories. That's how they describe it. I Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Right. So, uh, well, that brings up a good point. I'm going to play a clip of... Um, the doctor, Dr. Fletcher in the film, where she is uh, doing what I uh, think is the first zoom into a conference I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and play that clip and then we'll come back to it. Identity in an individual with dissociative identity disorder can have high cholesterol. One, there have been cases where one identity is allergic to bee stings. The others are not. Are there moments where two identities can coexist at the same time? There are times when two identities can take the light or the spot or consciousness at the same time. This happened with a student that I was working with and her left and right hand were were taking notes in different handwritings about separate things at the same time. The differences in the identities can be dramatic as much as the difference between you and me and every person in that auditorium. The identities have different IQs. They have different physical strengths. One personality is a Russian weightlifter and can lift three times his body weight. Their ability to hyper-focus and have different experiences is astounding. 
have these individuals, through their suffering, unlocked the potential of the brain? Is this the ultimate doorway to all things we call unknown? Is this where our sense of the supernatural comes from? So, Lyra, after that scene where uh, Dr. Fletcher is explaining what DID is, maybe for the reasons that you said uh, a few minutes ago with the two different camps, maybe uh, she's uh, she's obviously in the it exists camp, but maybe she was trying to describe to the other camp. Uh, What do you think about the description that they give in the film? as well as then the portrayal of DID in the film. Well, I, I obviously she believes it exists and, right. you know, she talks about differences in cholesterol and later in the film, they talk about differences in diabetes. Um, mm-hmm. There's no real way to determine that, you know, cholesterol is something that changes over time, depending on what you eat and uh, your bodily state. How can they definitively determine if one identity has high cholesterol or not? Right. And I'll I'll just speak to that because, you know, um, it always struck me as a, a simpler answer that cholesterol is that uh, when this person seems to have dissociative episodes, they're probably eating a lot of high cholesterol foods. And then when they're not dissociating, they go back to maybe lower cholesterol things. And so you get these expansions and contractions. That seems like a much simpler answer. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, they talk about difference in strengths. You know, you always hear mm-hmm. stories of a mother is trying to save her son. Right. She lifted a car. Yep. You know, our bodies change with our fight or flight response. This doesn't mean we have different personalities, different identities. Um, right. This is the way the body works. We we all know times where uh, we may appear to have different personalities just because of the situation and what's going on. And then, you know, she goes into unlocking the potential of the brain. And I I always relate this (laughs) to Morgan Freeman in Lucy. Right. Yes. What if we can unlock, use 20% of our brain? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just sitting there rolling my eyes because, of course, we use our whole brain all the time. And, you know, when I show this scene in class, my students actually laugh. They they say this is, you know, just ridiculous what she's talking about, Um, Mm -hmm. obviously for dramatic purposes that, you know, we we can do this. And, you know, sometimes I've heard of situations where therapists, they they like to have, you know, clients who suffer from these unique disorders because, mm-hmm. you know, it gives them something else to work with. Right. And they can write it up and it'll get published right. and as a case study and all of right. these, all of these different things. So yeah, there is some sort of fame associated with there. And it strikes me that her character, um, uh, she seems to focus on on 
strange-ish mental cases. Uh, so it seems like her forte are these unexplained um, issues. Yeah, yeah. And if we're looking at this in terms of accuracy, she has violated right. so many client therapist boundaries by <laughs> yes. going to Kevin's house and, yep. you know, not disclosing when she got all those emails from Barry saying, okay, maybe Kevin, as she calls him, needs to be hospitalized, you know? So I, I use the stereotype of Dr. Wonderful that we tend to see in films like mm -hmm. uh, with Goodwill Hunting, you know, the therapist is always involved in your life and outside right. of the therapeutic relationship. And, you know, that's what she seems overstepping all of these boundaries. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. Uh, and the kinds of conversations that she has with uh, Barry and yeah. um who then appears who who is um actually uh oh um Dennis right um who is the one of the ringleaders and he he acts more uh like somebody who seems to have OCD uh obsessive compulsive disorder and um like she sees through it and that tells you that they that she has had a lot of conversations with um Kevin Wendell Crumb the sp supposedly main um the main uh identity to whom am i speaking with now Dr Fletcher it's Barry it doesn't seem like Barry Barry is an extroverted leader yes i am i'm going to take a professional guess based on the description of all 23 identities that live in Kevin's body that I've gotten from Barry. I think I'm talking to Dennis. I'm encouraged we can finally meet. And I've guessed this because you've adjusted the chocolate dish twice since you came in here, and I understand you have OCD. <laughs> no, I see, now I see, that's clever. That's clever, but I'm, I'm, I'm not Dennis. And you and Patricia have been banned from the light for quite a while now, primarily, shall we say, because of your beliefs. Patricia and Dennis are very unstable. I'm not Dennis. Have you both taken charge now? Please believe me, I'm Barry. Right, and so this brings up an inaccuracy in the film. Uh, mm -hmm. When, uh, you know, she indicates, you know, call him by his real name. And mm -hmm. he sort of is Kevin for a minute. And he says, wait, isn't this 2014? Right. You would think she would have done this before. And uh -huh. he would have memories that are, uh, you know, more recent than 2014. Right, right, right. Yeah, because the movie uh, came out in 2017. So, yeah. you know, we're assuming that that's the year. Right. And so, what, he was not there? He was right, apparently he was not, not dissociating for two or three years. Right. Yeah, and, like, you know, if a therapist was really working with DID, she would try to integrate the personalities, 
try to bring out Kevin, try to ask mm-hmm. him about things, you know, try to reintegrate all of these memories. So the fact that he doesn't have any memory after 2014 is a is an inaccuracy. Right. Uh, and and uh, there are a lot of uh, inaccuracies associated with how even though I do say it's a great performance with how oh. James McAvoy goes in between them. Uh, so what are some details about that inaccuracy? Um, so, you know, usually you don't know about these and I call them different states of memory, but different identities. Sure. Because you're consciously not there. Now, mm-hmm. if you're in therapy and the therapist can guide you through this, then you actually know that these are there. But at the end of the movie, you see Kevin looking into the mirror and mm-hmm. all of the identities coming in and out very rapidly. That just doesn't happen. You know, it takes a while to make this shift. And Mm -hmm. there's something in the stimuli in the environment, no matter what it is, that usually brings out an identity, which I call a memory emotional combination. Uh, Yeah. Uh, When you phrase it like that, it would um, it would make sense that uh, different cues would bring about different uh different states as they do in all of us right as as these kind of memory cues um have for all of us like uh, a, a musical note or a, a smell or um us us you know oh movie. yeah very potent when you know our memories just stored in these associations and anything that reminds you it's going to bring up uh, yeah. a network of memories yeah right uh so one aspect of how the uh, disorder is portrayed uh, by James McAvoy is, or actually, as I suppose this is also M. Knight's fault with the writing, is they all refer to having the spotlight being the conscious identity as um, getting the light. Mm-hmm. Um, is this something that is reported by? uh DID case cases in real life uh or is some si- some phrasing given for that or is that just uh is that just a a license by M Knight It is so uh, the spotlight that's really referring to what we usually call memory uh, I'm sorry working memory consciousness mm-hmm. attention and it's very limited So it makes sense that only if memory is completely split or compartmentalized, that only Mm -hmm. uh, one compartment of memory would come to consciousness at a time. So that part is accurate. But then Dr. Fletcher talks about two identities coming Mm -hmm. into the spotlight, um, which could happen during therapy when you're trying to integrate these uh, disparate memory stores together. Okay. So it's not so much that, hey, there are two memories here, but we're starting to integrate these. They're they're becoming aware of each other. We're going to integrate them into one memory store, hopefully. So that's usually the uh, prescribed therapeutic technique, and you tend to see that as therapy progresses. Okay. 
So I'm I'm gonna uh, keep on that point here, uh, but we're gonna take a quick break and come right back. Hey, listener. Thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod, rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop, and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. Okay, Lyra, we were talking about the inaccuracies of the movie Split, uh, starring James McAvoy, written by M. Night Shyamalan. You know, the uh, the return to some sort of M Night normal normalcy. So, uh, Doctor Fletcher at the end of the movie uh, goes to confront uh, all of them, uh, mm-hmm. but Kevin, who who is the supposed um, dominant or main. Um, identity, the original identity, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she ends up releasing the tagged twenty fourth identity, which is some monstrous beast called the Horde. What what do we make of that? I know this adds some supernatural elements to it, and you know the sort of universe building that he uh, M Night. Uh, later did in glass uh what what is going on here what is this supposed to be a metaphor for um yeah i i honestly i was disappointed when i saw this part of the film uh for the first time i imagine right first time yes yeah um obviously uh you can't do that and she she dr fletcher tries to integrate some reality into it and say, yeah, you can change physiology with different states. And she's talking about identity, but the creation of a beast that's, you know, we, we can't deviate you from our potential. You wrote about a potential. woman in Germany who'd been blind for 10 years. And then it was discovered that she had DID. Then three of her identities developed sight you speculated that her optical nerves regenerated because of her beliefs. What are you trying to say? There are things, Dr. Fletcher, that all of us would find hard to believe. Are you trying to tell me there's a 24th identity? You protect the broken. When you said that you thought this situation was extraordinary, I knew you could maybe understand. Understand what? The beast is real he's just emerged 
You were right about everything. What does he look like? He's much bigger than I am. And I'm the biggest of all of us. He's tall. He's very muscular. He's got a long mane of hair and his fingers are, are twice the length of ours. He believes we are extraordinary. But we don't represent a mistake, but our potential. You say the same things. He's on the move. What does that mean? I don't understand. He can't be real. There must be limits to what a human being can become. She talks about differences in IQ, and mm -hmm. I can see that between, you know, different states that we have normally, but we can't go above our potential. Okay. So, uh, you know, this is really ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it, it, it makes for good drama. Uh, the, my students love this part, but mm -hmm. I have to bring them back down and say, you know, this just can't happen. This right. isn't within the realms of reality. And, <laughs> you know, we talk about the stigma because in society, there's this stigma that people with mental illness and especially DID, because DID is never really portrayed accurately, that people are violent. And yeah. They they have real, you know, people who suffer from dissociation, their lives are very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually hospitalized. Um, they usually have to go through years and years of therapy. And when they see something like this, it, it's very right. stigmatizing. And people don't want to admit, you know, I, I'm dealing with this disorder. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the classic trope. So film trope of, mm -hmm. uh, of when somebody is expressing a different identity within the same body that um, we get to shed our um, moral and ethical requirements and we get to go do whatever we want. And so this trope has been around for a really long time and immediately it... it just because we've become depersonalized does not mean that we go, oh, okay, I get to go, you know, murder people now because I don't have a uh, moral or ethical reason for being. Right, exactly. And that it's somehow an excuse for engaging in, you know, what we consider to be acceptable behavior. Yeah. And we tend to see this a lot. And what I really want to do in my movie class is to have students understand how these disorders really play out and mm -hmm. how, you know, when the public sees this and they internalize what they see about people with mental illness, how that, uh, you know, just keeps the stigma that we have that. You know, people uh, with mental illness can be uh, violent or, uh, you know, they can't function in society. We need right. to be scared of them. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, yeah. this this film tends to perpetuate that. Yeah. And 
I was going back and forth with uh, this movie and, uh, and and the portrayal of DID and the uh, movie that came out in 2003, Identity, mm. which is a really good film. I'll, it'll probably be on the um, podcast one day, not too close to this episode because it'll right. be literally the same thing. Right. But, <laughs> but shh, yep. don't tell anyone that. I, I, uh, so that, It's a great movie. I, I was thinking yeah. about using that movie too right i mean it's like six to one half a dozen the yeah. other which one do i do okay let's go with the more modern one i yeah. suppose uh it's got names people know these days right uh so identity has but has a similar end to it as the the main uh identity in that film that character is a, institutionalized for acts of violence right uh, and it turns out that like he's got a number of identities. Oh, maybe I, I won't spoil it for anyone. Not on this podcast. No, I'll, I'll spoil it on the other. I'll spoil it on the other episode. Uh, <laughs> so, but and so that movie is predicated on violent, uh, violent DID. It's, yeah, it's all. It's all violent, and these people either need to be. Uh, uh, in prison or institutionalized, mm-hmm. and obviously you'd want to go with the institutionalized and not prison, right? Uh, so <laughs> it, it seems like Dr. Fletcher has neglected her duty, uh, for this for Kevin Crumb. Yeah, I I agree. She, you know, he should have been hospitalized. Instead of her going over there, obviously there would not be any story if she did that. Uh, But when she realized something may be going on, usually Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that the person uh, is not a threat Mm -hmm. and uh, that the person is safe. And unfortunately, many people with DID, because they experience uh, dissociation do end up hospitalized for yeah. a period of time. Yeah, and I guess maybe uh, I guess a, a question that I have um, for the reason for hospitalization. Um, how long? And I don't think we mentioned this earlier when we were talking about DID in general. Uh, how long are the dissociative episodes? Uh, how long have they been re- uh, reported to to last among the average sufferer? Oh, okay. So it, it varies extensively. Um, I figured. Yeah, it, it really does. And I, I'd say it could be with with incomplete splitting. I, I would say maybe a few hours. With okay. complete splitting, it could be days. Um, oh, days. Okay. Yeah, it could be weeks. Um, and hmm. what the therapist wants to do is bring up what may have happened in the past. And I know this sounds really Freudian, but we call it abreaction, where the associated memories and emotions come up and the individual can piece them together into a a coherent association mm-hmm. and that tends to help with the dissociation. So um, it depends mm. on how long it takes to recover these. 
what's what's interesting is that the person really has to make a choice. So if they've been dissociating, it's usually because of some early trauma. So do they want to continue dissociating? Is it working for them? Usually it doesn't. Or are they going to uncover all of these horrors that happened to them when they were younger that they the original person can't recall because they were so horrible Mm -hmm. um so it's really it's on a case-by-case basis it depends on the degree of the splitting that they experience and i would imagine um from a non-clinical um perspective i would imagine not complete splitting seems more common than complete it is splitting. it is that's yeah. why many people I, they it's very controversial many people don't think did exists um yeah. they think it's just dissociation and the therapist is interpreting this as did mm-hmm. um And ever since civil, the cases have expanded and now you have reports of up to a hundred different personalities. And it's really confined within the United States and Canada. And it's strange. For example, another westernized culture such as the United Kingdom doesn't report as many cases as we do here. So I think, you know, it's it's part of the therapist saying, well, there's some dissociation going on here. Let's see to what extent the splitting occurs. And they may conclude based on their professional opinion that it is DID. Oh, I see. So, I mean, there's a long process, but it is it is kind of suspect that it's only in North America. Yeah. And, uh, and and the interesting thing that uh, ca- officially Canada uses the ICD-10. ICD, right. Uh, so, I mean, it, it wouldn't be like this is an American thing. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe there's just a lot of spillover in usage. Yeah, there is. You know, the clinicians have to make an assessment based on mm-hmm. their knowledge. So it, it does vary to some extent. Yeah, that's that's kind of strange. So one question uh, that I did not put on the notes that I had for you regarding this film is the female character played by uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess maybe, have you seen Glass? Um, I saw parts of it. Honestly, I had to it. turn it off. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it, it was so... No, no, that's fine. I think, uh, I think uh, M. Night doesn't know when to, doesn't yeah, know when to stop. Exactly. Doesn't know when things are good. I know. Buddy, dude, I don't know. ruin it. <laughs> Just so and I yeah. I'm not surprised uh that you had to turn it off. It what uh it did um draw on just way too long. Yeah. Uh so in in that film uh Anya Taylor-Joy uh plays Casey again. Mm-hmm. I believe her name is Casey, right? Yes. Uh and she so she plays her again and and she's trying to get Kevin to come back even mm-hmm. though uh Glass wants the horde right to come out. 
And this carries through their relationship uh, in Split, which happens, I what, I believe uh, a couple of years prior, something like to the events of the other, or a mm-hmm. year maybe, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not too far in time. Uh, Casey's character, what do we think? Is this some, like, um, massive amounts of pity, trying to save... Uh, 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 Stockholm syndrome. Like, mm-hmm. what? Why? Why is she so fascinated with with uh, Kevin's character, James McAvoy? Well, I think, and we talk about this in my class. Um, I think she can relate to him. So, uh, we we've come to the conclusion that she suffers from post traumatic stress disorder, and. Okay. Which is sort of a variant of dissociation. It includes dissociative experiences. And mm-hmm. um, so, but she remembers her trauma. So okay. her splitting is not as extensive as Kevin. So with PTSD, you have the flashbacks, you have the anxiety. And this usually happens when a trauma occurs later in mm-hmm. life. We know with Kevin, it was his mother who was very authoritarian and rigid. And mm-hmm. he, he probably ended up dissociating during his early trauma. But she remembers it. She knows what happened. And mm-hmm. this plagues her. So to some extent, she probably sympathizes with him she probably you know understands what he has gone through okay that this wasn't his choice to experience uh the the splitting of his his consciousness really sure and uh what is the evidence in the film that she suffers from ptsd because i'm having trouble uh placing that um so on she's very easy to startle to okay uh so people with ptsd have an uh an easier startle response Mm -hmm. um she has these flashbacks that we do see and that's very common when someone is feeling stressed they tend to have flashbacks to their previous trauma because Mm -hmm. they haven't integrated the memory properly um we also see that she tells the other girls what to do she understands his mindset so mm-hmm. in one scene he calls one of the girls out and she says okay i recognize this this is what you can do to help yourself oh. and then kevin sort of empathizes with her at some point and that's probably why she was able to um escape and survive what was sure. going on. Um, I uh, that is wonderful. Thank you for that. I'll have to go back and um watch it with that in mind. Uh, because I, you know, I I I don't know if I was picking that up the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So I have a, one more question for you, Lyra, before we end uh our conversation sure. here. Uh, who, and this is just purely, this is not scientific. This is, um, just, just preference. Who was your favorite identity? Oh, oh, um, Patricia, definitely. 
And <laughs> yes, to me, this was the incarnation of his mother. Uh, you know, oh, sometimes. Right. Sure, sure. Okay. Right. With, with the uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, everything yeah. has to be perfect. So sometimes you see memories compartmentalized with the authority figure. Um, and that was really my favorite. And I, I know my students, they always jump. And, you know, when the girls are looking through the peephole and mm-hmm. they see, oh, there's someone else out there. Let's try to make noise. So they know we're locked <laughs> in this room. And it's it's Kevin dressed as Patricia, you know, with the skirt on. And they're just like, they're appalled. They have no idea what's going on. I, I'd say yeah. it's my favorite part of the film. Yeah, they they probably if if the Silence of the Lambs existed in this universe, they probably would have been like, I'd much rather put lotion on because at least I know right. what Buffalo Bill wants from me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they're like, OK, we got to rethink this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but now that you mention uh, that it's the incarnation of his mother, how um uh, when there were only two girls uh, left, Casey and I can't remember the other one, she invites them into like the little kitchenette and right. to make them a sandwich and she cuts it right. and just slams her hands down yeah. and says it's not straight. Yes. Uh, so Really gut-wrenching scene, but I, I totally see it now. Yeah, and usually when you suffer this type of trauma, usually the par- the parental figures are authoritarian and rigid and mm-hmm. wants things a certain way. And I have to tell you, I also love Hedwig. And my students <laughs> love the scene where he brings Casey in and starts dancing. You know, he wants to show off his dancing abilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes some memory is compartmentalized as the child who endured right. the trauma. Right. Uh, so you do see different developmental stages. Mm-hmm. That is that is there you go. That's another one that I actually yeah. didn't catch. I figured that it was the <clears throat> infantile sort of childlike uh, mm-hmm. behavior, but I didn't actually uh connect them all uh because Dennis might I guess be his dad it could be we don't know much about his father in this right. you know in the movie mm-hmm. um that would be a good idea if M Knight wanted to do a prequel and I know uh. I know what was it uh I can't remember the name it's not broken it's uh what was the prequel uh- Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. He could do like an in between Unbreakable and uh, um, Split. Yeah, that would be. I mean, I don't know if he should because that's true. Um, As he said, right? He, Let, let's he, leave he, it. Right. Yeah. He doesn't know when to stop an idea. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So. Uh, so. That makes sense that it's all connected, and um, I'm sure it's Dennis is somebody we know. My my favorite uh, identity, uh, the horde notwithstanding, because that would I mean a lot of it was like camera trickery, and mm-hmm. so uh, James McAvoy got ripped for that role because all he had to do was like uh, buff him out 
and uh, they did some camera light and trickery stuff to make him look bigger. But dude was still ripped. So he was uh, the horde. Excellent. Uh, but my favorite identity that has like uh, an identity in the film, um, it's actually Dennis playing Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's talking to Dr. Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, I don't think you're Barry. Yeah. And then uh, she watches him leaving and notices uh, something with the trash can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was good. I I mean, James McAvoy was great in this movie. I right. you know, kudos for him being able to portray those different personalities uh so accurately and having and, to go back and forth. Yeah, and can and well done on the consistency. I know yes. probably he shot scenes as one person right. every day. Right. Um so it was easier on him, but it still comes through like he's linearly switching identities mm-hmm. on point. It's 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 very good. And like some of the other ones that you see when Casey's looking at the computer. Oh yeah. Um like there's yeah. a uh there's a really boring professor type yep and i the first time i saw it i identified very hard with that character yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) because you're like oh wait that's me oh uh so other than yeah i thought that was uh, he did an immaculate job and i will say that uh the and and it's pretty it's a pretty slim cast but Anya Taylor Joy was was a uh, interesting character. I think she, now that I sort of uh, have internalized the PTSD, uh, and sort of connected it with with the things that I remember from the film, mm-hmm. she did. I I think she did a phenomenal oh, job of somebody did. who was uh, dealing with that, but. Also, very quietly, mm-hmm. like it was a very, it was a very quietly stated uh, aspect to her character, which is why I missed it. So. Yeah, it, it was like you could understand what she was going through just by her facial expressions and mm-hmm. her demeanor, and the fact that she, you know she was a little stronger than the other girls. Like this wasn't yeah. something new to her being in a trauma situation. Yeah, I, I, I. Totally agree with that. Now, now that I see it, I I will have to. I hope it's streaming somewhere because I'll have to watch I'm it sure and maybe have it on the background while I'm at work or something. Shh, mm-hmm. Don't tell anyone I do that. <laughs> I want to thank Lyra Stein for joining me to discuss Split. Uh, I appreciate your insight on all of uh, the film stuff that I missed. And uh, while, while while we say goodbye, would there would there be like anything that you'd like to plug? Where can folks find out more about your work? Uh, so I I have a website that's connected with Rutgers. Um, I'm also on the Society for Teaching of Psychology's Facebook page. If yeah, anyone buddy. wants to join, uh, a wealth of information, especially since we're teaching virtually now. Yeah. So feel free to join. Um, and I will be hosting the International 
Twitter poster conference, which is coming up soon. Yeah, I'm on that committee too. And that's so we, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We will. Um, that's coming up in a month, actually. It is. Uh, yeah. Just a little under a month. So head over to the STP website. I know this. This so this is going to go out um somewhere around October 12th there, and uh, so you still have time to register. Pre-registering is not required, but yes. uh, we'll, uh, go ahead and plug that since we're both on the uh, IT. PC committee. Definitely. Yes. I think I got that. Uh, we want to promote that. So teachpsych.org and uh, find the details on that one October, or excuse me, November 1st and 2nd. Woo! Well, thank you again, Lyra. You're welcome. That's going to be it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening. 